All right. So we have been this summer going through a series on prayer, and we've been talking about the Lord's Prayer and how that helps us in prayer. And today, what we're going to talk about and what we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks is how the kingdom of God actually plays a role in us understanding what prayer is about, what we're about in prayer, and how to walk into prayer. And so... um, What we're about to read this morning um, is really the foundation of all prayer. So I need a volunteer, somebody that would stand up and read a passage of scripture for me. Would anybody just stand up? Who's got a Bible? Has anybody got a Bible in this room? This is a church, right? Somebody, Christian, are you going to stand up and read? Yes. No, no, no. You just stay where you are, bro. Uh, And just, but read loud. Turn around and read loud. Start in Genesis and I'll tell you when to stop. No, I'm joking. Go to Psalm and Psalm 46, verse 10. And uh, this is really the foundation of prayer. Because today, I want you to know I have an agenda. My agenda is to help you begin to take practical steps in nurturing a powerful, vulnerable, uh, rich prayer life in your own life. So, Christian. Thank you. Did y'all hear that in the back? Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. I hate that. I got to tell you, I hate it. I I hate the whole idea of being still. I don't want to be still. In fact, I remember I grew up with two brothers and uh, our home was this home full of grace and, and servants and sharing. When I would get chocolate, I would share it with my brothers first. No, it was a war room. Like we were constantly battling one another. My dad was always telling us, stop your fighting. And if we went a little bit too far, we knew uh, dad was in the room because we would hear the, you know what that is? That was his belt coming out of his belt loops like that. And we knew that dad was about to put an end to this fight. And he would look at us and he goes, okay, who's first? And I always wanted to go first because like, I didn't feel like he was loose yet, you know? And I'm like, maybe still a little mercy in him. But what I really loved about it is I loved, okay, take your three, then go. Like, you're, it's done. It's finished. Like, let's embrace and kiss, but get out of the way. I'm out the door to go play. You guys today are such better parents. Like, y'all got these things called timeout, like where you sit down with your child and you talk about their feelings and you talk about their heart and then you, you put them over, you know, in a corner and you put them in timeout. That would have been a living hell for me to sit somewhere by myself for 30 minutes and just, I would be like the starter, you know, I'd be waiting just for the go because being still has never been easy for me. And this whole idea that the very beginning of prayer, the start of prayer, the foundation of prayer is to be still, it rubs against my fur, all right? But, and maybe it rubs against yours too. And I have an agenda that today I'm going to invite you into a place of stillness with God because it does three things for us. One, it tells me how deeply I'm loved. 
Stillness, two, tells me how deeply I need to be loved. And three, stillness tells me how much love has changed me and how, love, how much love is changing me. You ready? We're about to go to the most unlikely place to discover this. Uh, in Matthew chapter 13, 31, Jesus loved to use these parables to talk about the kingdom of God. Now, remember what Jesus did. Jesus came into a kingdom that was not the kingdom of God. And Jesus came into this kingdom to rescue us from the kingdom of this world by his death and then by his resurrection to usher us from this kingdom of the world into the kingdom of God. And here's the crazy thing. This kingdom of the world is the only world I ever knew before I knew Jesus. And it was the only world that I knew how to live in. It was, I knew the language. I knew how to operate. I knew how to function. And when he rescued me from the kingdom of this world into his kingdom, now he has to teach me a new way to talk, a new way to live. I'm in a new kingdom now. This was a kingdom of death. This is a kingdom of life. This is a kingdom of loss. This is a kingdom of being found. I don't know how to live in a found kingdom. All I know is how to live in the lost kingdom. And so when Jesus comes and starts telling these parables, he's trying to wake us up and renew our minds to help us understand this new kingdom. Are you with me? That was pretty passionate, wasn't it? All right. Let me be still. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. He told them another parable. This whole chapter is worth reading because they all connect, the parables do. But let's stay with just this one. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Mustard seed, little bitty, bitty, bitty seed. If I had one, you wouldn't see it. It's so small. The kingdom of heaven is like a small, itsy, bitsy, little mustard seed, which a man took and planted in the field. So he says, the kingdom of God is like the mustard seed. This man took that mustard seed, went out to the middle of his field, turned the dirt around, plopped the seed down, covered it up. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for these parables. We need you to give us your Holy Spirit to understand. And we need, to, we need your Holy Spirit to then take that understanding and fold our lives into it to where we are changed. In Christ's name, amen. So the mustard seed, this is something that's so small, so invisible, so unimportant. Jesus is exaggerating the point that the kingdom of God is something that seems so insignificant and yet becomes the biggest thing that could possibly be, much like prayer. You know, when we go to Matthew chapter 6 and Jesus is talking about prayer, he warns us as his church. In the old kingdom, this is how prayer was used. The only time you ever pray is when you're praying in front of people. Like when you're praying at church and somebody says, would you stand up and pray? And you stand up and, and then you leave worrying about what you prayed about. What did everybody think about how you prayed? And did you pray the right things? And Jesus says, yeah, in this kingdom, you pray like only at meals when other people are listening. Because you never pray before a meal when you're by yourself. But when you're with your family, you know, Lord, help my children. Stop getting a whipping. You know, like we pray so other people can hear us. And Jesus says, that's not what I'm talking about. Prayer, actually, in Matthew 6, is when you go into your closet, when you go into the secret place, when you go to the place that you're literally hiding away from everybody else, that nobody can see you, nobody can hear you, nobody knows you're actually even fostering a prayer life. Jesus says, that's the place, that little bitty place right there where God hears you and sees you and then begins to do something powerful. 
Yeah. See, I love, I love how we talk about the gospel here at Midtown. Because, you know, we talk about how Jesus rescued me from the sin in this kingdom. And he rescued me to this kingdom of life. So when we talk about Jesus, we say he rescued me from something. But that's not the big deal. The big deal is he rescued me to something. And what he rescued me to, if you know Jesus, I hope you know this is true because we talk about it all the time. He rescued you to purpose. He literally rescued you to a divine purpose which he has crafted even before you were born. You know what that means? You look the way you look because it's a part of the divine purpose. We spend so much of our time comparing ourselves to other people that we miss the fact that the height you are, the way you look, the way you talk is all a part of God's divine purpose, but it gets better. When we're born into this kingdom, then his Holy Spirit supernaturally gifts us for this divine purpose. And then our lives take on this kind of language. There is a calling on my life, which is normal in this kingdom for you. We start talking about the divine task that God has given me. We talk about our giftedness and we discover our giftedness and we fan them into flames. We use language like my life is marked by being led by the Holy Spirit. That's normative in this kingdom over here. So many of you uh, have heard about me talking about uh, traveling to Africa. I love going to Africa. Uh, there's something different there. Uh, my last trip to Africa, we went to Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo, and we met with, right in the middle of Goma, this big major city in Congo, uh, Pastor Dennis, who is 75 years old and has been pastoring in this, just this city of just chaos for most of his life. And we visit him and we see the church and he's talking about his church and about the people he pastors to. And it's just inspirational, but it's not just there. He also runs this school where he equips men and women who are called into ministry and he trains them in scripture and they get a degree and they graduate from his program to go and do ministry. Amazing. Let me tell you what's more amazing. There's a war going on in Congo. You may not know that. And outside the city, the city is uh, governed by the government, but outside the city in the refugee camps is where the rebels are. Well, Dennis also runs a school out in the rebel camp. So he trains like police officers and military people in the city. And out here, he trains uh, rebel officers out there and has a school out there too. In May, they graduated a bunch of people that said, I've been trained, I've been equipped, I've been given purpose, and now I'm ready to go. And these people are planting churches across Congo at the threat of their own lives. It's crazy. They have so much demand for the classes that Dennis is like, I, I, I'm not enough to train all the people that want to go into ministry. So when we were there, uh, I may have told this story before, but it's worth telling again. We got in the van with him and he goes, somebody I want you to meet. So we get in his van and we're going through uh, Goma, which literally is like, it's like humans became ants and they just all descended on Goma. So we're riding up on sidewalks and stuff just to get through the traffic and the people. We pull up to a little convenience store that wasn't a 7-Eleven, but it was something. And he got something and then we took off and we pulled up to this house in this neighborhood that literally is like somebody vomited out this neighborhood. Like it's, you would want to live there. And this big gate opens up and inside is this little bitty woman who greeted us with a smile. 
And it was Sister Alavera, who was a nun, who has led a, who's, she's run an orphanage in Goma, in the Congo, forever. And I gotta tell you, I swear to you, when I met her, I'm like, God is all over you. I mean, I just, look, just, I wanna shut up and just listen to what you have to say. And like, she has taken in children. People bring children and dump them at the gate. And we got there uh, that afternoon, and that night before, two kids were dumped at the gate. They named one of them after me. I had a poor child, like, it's... <laughs> And she talks about her love for these children. You cannot go there and not smell it, taste it, feel it, the divine purpose on these people's lives. They're no different than us. We're all part of the same family. And I want to tell you this, that gets me so excited. I, I get the go, go, go part of me is like, oh, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's take them out and let's go. That's not where it starts. In fact, that's the fruit of something else. It's the fruit of learning how to be still and know that he is God. Because the first thing that happens when we do that is it teaches us how much we are loved. You know, the Bible says that the, the purpose of man is to love God with all our hearts, our souls, our minds, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Did you know that you're, the whole purpose in this new kingdom is love? That's it. It's not great jobs. It's not great success. It is love to be a great lover. And you know what's hard about that is to be loved has to happen before I love. And to be loved I have to be courageous enough to be seen. In this world over here, we come to church groomed, showered. Y'all are all smelling really good. And in this world, what we do is we present to everybody the image that we think is acceptable to everybody here. And so we're looking great. We're talking great. You know, we got the great jokes, you know, all that kind of stuff. We're looking good over here because we internally believe because we've been taught by this kingdom that if you saw who I really am, if you really saw my duplicity, if you saw my sin, if you saw my doubts, if you saw the parts of me that take great achievements, but I've used them for myself, if you saw my anger, if you saw the real me, my addictions and my struggles and how much I hate the person I'm married to and how much I want to get away from my kids, if you saw all that stuff, there is no way that you would accept me and love me. That's this kingdom. But when we come into God's kingdom, God says, yeah, I see all of that. I see even the stuff you don't see. And what does God do? I want more. That is so unbelievable to us. That is so outrageously outside the categories of anything that I've ever been taught. It's too good not to be true. And for me to really understand that that's the foundation of me being still before God, that I hear him rejoicing over me with singing, that God is dancing over me. No way. So there's a story in the Bible of a man who had two sons and one we call the prodigal son who uh, had kind of a wild hair, took a bunch of his dad's money, uh, and then went and lived a crazy lifestyle. He said, I just, give me your money. I'm going to go live the life I want to live. And he goes and he squanders it on prostitutes and gambling and drinking and all that kind of stuff. And he lost it all and found himself in the most dire situations. He's starving to death. 
He's feeding pigs. Life has just really come apart for him. He's in rags now. And it says he comes to his senses and he decides, even my dad's servants eat. I'm just going to go home and offer to my dad, I will now be your slave. Do you know the story? The story is, is that when the dad saw his son fall apart, dad does this. He reaches down and he grabs his robe, shoves it in his uh, belt and starts taking off. And he's screaming, my boy, he's back. And he grabs his son and all his filth and all his stench and all his sin and all his duplicity and all the crimes that he's committed against his father. And he takes him up into his arms and begins to hug him and celebrate. He says, my son was dead, but now he is alive. He was lost, but now he is found. Kill the fatty calf. And he begins to kiss him. You know what the son did? Somebody guess. Probably cried. Yes, Ted. He said, I'm not worthy to be your son. Yes. And then his dad said, I don't care what you have to say. Shut up. Here, I want you to grasp this because in this kingdom, it's unbelievable. The son did nothing but let the father hug him. He did nothing but let the father kiss him. He did nothing but let the father throw a huge party for him. He did nothing but let his father put his reputation on the line when he called the whole village together and said, we're going to celebrate my son. And the village is coming and going, this guy has lost his marbles. Man, I'd make that kid pay. I'd make him pay for the rest of his life for what he did, not the father. When we're still, I begin to understand before the kingdom does anything, the kingdom is for me. It is for me. He loves me and he loves you more than anything that you will ever do for his kingdom. Ever. That's why the Bible says, I dare you to practice your living life by participating with the divine nature of God. The divine nature of God. To participate with the divine nature of God. You know what that means? Let yourself be hugged and then go live your life. So it's kind of like, Kyle, hey man, were you listening? You were being really still. All right, stand up for me, all right? Here we go. You guys know this guy? If you do, the rest of you don't. Yeah. Be still and know that he is caught. All right. I want you to hug me. All right. Ah, uh, yes. Hey, don't look at Come on, come on. There you go. All right. Let's move to the back of the room. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Okay, let's go. All right. No, let's don't do that. All right, but sit down. That, that's what I'm talking about. Let me close in prayer. Do you realize how hard it is to take steps in unison when you're hugging somebody? and being hugged by somebody, oh, it is so difficult. Because you're consciously conscious of the fact that I, I gotta stay in step with this person. That's when Ephesians says, stay in step with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has me. And here's the crazy thing is when I step back from that, I realize in this embrace, it's not me embracing Jesus, it's Jesus embracing me. I get so caught up with my sin and thinking, I've let go of Jesus, he's wandered away from me, I need to get back to God. Get back to God. If you belong to God, you can't get rid of him. He's not going anywhere. He still has you. 
So it, a better illustration, Kyle, is if I could have gotten up on your hip like a three-year-old. <laughs> That's me and Jesus. He's got me. He celebrates over me. But it's so hard for us in this world. Like, let me ask you this. Who is the all-time goat in the NFL? Did somebody say Peyton Manning? Wow, there we go. What does it tell us when I couldn't get anybody to read scripture, but when it gets to the NFL? Many would argue that it's possibly Tom Brady. Peyton is a great Cajun like myself. I appreciate him. But the reason that they make a case for Tom Brady, do you know that nobody but him has 251 wins? Do you know that nobody but him has been to the Pro Bowl 15 times? Nobody but him has been the Super Bowl MVP five times. Nobody but him has completed 7,753 passes. I... I cannot tell you how boring that sounds. That there's nothing in my life I want to do 7,753 times. But he's the goat. And nobody has had more yards passing, which are 89,214 yards. Think of the person that came up with that. And here's it. Nobody has more passing touchdowns. Do you know how many it is? Well, we have a bunch of NFL mumblers in here. Peyton Manning's not the GOAT. <laughs> 649 touchdowns. But let me ask you this question. Who is the GOAT, the greatest of all time in the NFL, at being loved? We don't even know where to start with that. Because we live, we're so indoctrinated into a kingdom of get stuff done that the idea of get loved deeply doesn't even register for us. It's why we don't want to be still before God. We don't. I'm too busy getting through my day. I'm too busy accomplishing my goals. I'm too busy getting something done, getting busy, getting going. I got stuff to do. I got to do something to validate my existence on this planet. I've got to do something that makes me worthy of love and belonging. But let me introduce you to the upside down kingdom of God. And then I'm going to give you a tip on how you can practice this, okay? In Jesus' kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. Are you kidding me? In the kingdom of God, it's through death that you find your life. In the kingdom of God, you lay down your life, you find it. The greatest become the least. The leader is the chief servant. Strength is found in humility, and God's power is perfected in weakness, and those in the kingdom of God boast in their weaknesses. Come on. you got to be kidding me. Yeah. So it teaches me. When I get silent, I begin to let the Father scoop me up, and I begin to feel his embrace. I promise. The second thing is silence teaches me how much I need that embrace. So this is a strange parable. Let's go back to the parable. Because everybody that was listening to the parable at that time would have thought, this is bizarre what you're saying because what you're saying isn't true. First of all, the mustard seed is not the smallest seed. There are a lot, a lot of seeds that are a lot smaller than a mustard seed. And 
Second of all, nobody would have ever planted a mustard seed, especially in the middle of a field. Are you kidding me? Because mustard seeds produce black mustard plants. And those black mustard plants are a nuisance because they have all these little pods that come off of them. And each of those pods, there are hundreds of little mustard seeds in them. And when they dry up in the middle of summer and then they start to crack open, the wind takes those and scatters those mustard seeds everywhere. And you can't get rid of them. They're an invasive species. They're a troublesome, irritant, nagging weed that everybody that was in farming was trying to get rid of and nobody in their right mind would ever plant. In fact, there was a Jewish law against planting mustard seeds. Because, what are you kidding me? We spent all this time getting rid of that weed. And now you're actually going to plant the very thing that we're trying to get rid of? Is Jesus calling us a weed? Maybe. I think he is. This is where getting quiet and getting still gets a little scary. Because, you know, when you, when you get still, it starts getting brutal really fast. It starts getting vulnerable, especially if you have the courage to be honest with what's going on. See, for me to be still, the first thing that has to happen is I have to shut up. And I ain't in the business of shutting up. In fact, y'all are saying right now, he should shut up. Like, end early, brunch, brunch. Uh, the reason I don't want to shut up is because I'm talking so much. And why am I talking so much? Because when I talk, I control. The reason I'm going to talk when I'm with you is I'm going to control the conversation. And I'm going to control the situation. And I'm going to troll my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to keep going, 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 going. I have no interest in you. All I have is interest in self-protection and controlling the world that I'm in. Being still and being quiet doesn't help me control that world. It actually allows you to have control now. And I'm not going to do that. And when I get quiet, something else happens. I don't know if you experience this, but I'll tell you, if you get silent, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to start to feel pain. Because life is hard and life hurts us and relationships hurt us and we hurt ourselves and we hurt people that we're in relationships with that hurt us. And when we get silent and we start talking and thinking about the things in my heart that are really burdening me and making it hard for me and I'm hurting, that is hard. I'd rather get busy and get on with my day than sit in that. Are you kidding me? When I get silent, I've got to know how to listen, which means I have to be curious about something greater than just myself, which is hard to do. My busyness, me, 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 me. Stopping and being curious in my silence changes me from being a person that lives in front of the mirror to actually seeing something else. This one's a hard one. When I get silent, it forces me to turn into a receiver. I don't want to be a receiver. I want to be a giver because a giver has the control. I don't want to be the one that has to receive, but yet that's the place we experience grace. And here's the crazy one. And I don't know if this will make any sense to you. When I get quiet, when I get silent, I don't know how to say this. Most of us have a currency of love. And the currency is 
if, if I can do something or if I'm of value, then you love me and our friendship is good. As long as I'm bringing something to the table. And so I'm constantly positioning myself to make sure that I'm valuable to you. When I get silent, now I see the ache of my heart that says, I'm enough to be loved. That may not make sense. It may be for some of you. I'll let the Holy Spirit. But when I get silent, it opens up my heart's desire to be enough. All these things are hard. It's hard, and it feels like we're unworthy. It almost feels like we're a mess. It feels somewhat like a weed. What value does a weed have? An outlaw weed that's invasive. And yet, this last part's important. Silence, being still, teaches me how love is changing me. So the original listeners would have said, hey, mustard plants don't grow on trees. They certainly don't grow on the kind of trees that birds can make their nest in. That's, that's not true at all. Certainly they don't have branches. They're just, have you ever seen a big, tall, like eight foot weed? It's so fragile that if a bird landed on it, it would like, like, what is Jesus talking about? For us, we're confused. But for the original listeners, for a Jew who grew up in the temple, they knew exactly what Jesus was doing. Because what he was doing was he was quoting Ezekiel chapter 17. In Ezekiel chapter 17, He's saying about his people, Israel, his people, the church. He says, there is coming a day. Well, I will take just a sapling and I will plant it. And when I plant it, it is going to grow into this cosmic tree that is going to be a safe haven for all birds, all creatures, all nations. It's a picture of the whole world now coming into this tree of life that gives us refuge and life. It's the transformation of a mustard weed into the beautiful tree of life. And that's what Jesus does when he comes and rescues us from this kingdom to this kingdom. And that is what's so difficult to believe. Jesus says, I do the impossible. What you can't do, I do. And the way he did it, Listen to John chapter 12. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Here's the crazy thing. I can't do that. He did that. And because of his death and because of his resurrection, he moves me from a kingdom of weeds into this glorious cosmic tree of life because that's what love does to me. In fact, in Isaiah 61, one of my favorite passages of scripture, it says, we, the church, will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. You know what that means? He's like God stepping back and looking at Kyle and go, look, behold, a display of my splendor. Do you see this guy? Do you see what I've done in his life? Do you see the glorious tree of life that he's become? Yeah. So when I get silent, I see how much I'm loved. 
When I get silent, I see how much I need that love. And when I get silent, I see how that love has changed me and is constantly changing me. So how do we do it? Okay, so uh, let me just take a few minutes and give you some counsel on how you can walk into this experiencing God in silence. The first thing I'd encourage you to do is find a time uh, and a place. And I would encourage you to find a place where you won't be interrupted, where I wouldn't suggest doing that on Broadway, you know? Uh, Find that quiet place. Some of you are like, I have no time and I have no quiet place. We can talk later, all right? Uh, You need a change of your life. Uh, But find a time and find a place. And when you get in that place, let let me prep you that when you go, okay, you know, and you get quiet, you sit down, the war begins because all the distractions are going to start coming like freight trains. Have any of you seen uh, the Matrix where Neo is in front of the wall of television screens? For me, that's what happens. And they're all on different channels, like that. And next thing I know, I'm thinking about, what am I doing this afternoon? I'm thinking about, uh, did I pay that bill? I'm thinking about, oh, did I clean my shoes? I mean, like the stupidest stuff. Like anything on any screen is worthy of my attention. And I realize that I am so distracted, this is impossible, I'm leaving. Stop. When that distraction happens, if you're like that, some of you are masters of silence. You can teach us all. We're welcome. But when you get in there, thank God for the distractions. And every time you're distracted, then cry out to Jesus or cry out to the Father or cry out to the Holy Spirit. Um, Ask him to be present with you. Like, Lord, I'm thinking about the dirt between my toes right now. Help me. Like, you know. And here's what's going to happen. The reason you thank him for the distractions, if you have a thousand distractions, it's a thousand opportunities to ask Jesus to step in. So don't disdain the distractions, but you're going to find that the more you keep calling out the Lord, the more you're going to start to see that your spirit is settled and you're going to start to rest and you're going to start to experience something. And it's hard. I remember when I decided in graduate school that I was going to become a runner. Like I didn't know any runners. I don't know why I decided to do it. But I worked for this oil company and I decided at lunch break in Mississippi in the middle of the summer at 12 o'clock, I was going to go for a run. I sat in my car and I swear, I think I passed out like after I ran a mile. Like this is insanity. I knew nothing about it until I said, okay, slow down, go to a different pace and maybe do it at night, you know? And I'm just encouraging you, don't give up if it's hard. Get in it, know the distractions are coming and when they come, um, cry out to Jesus, cry out to Father, Holy Spirit. Then when you get into that place, here's what I want you to do. Stop and ask yourself, what is going on with me? It takes courage. What's happening in my heart? What's happening with me? Am I happy? Am I sad right now? Am I angry? Am I hurt? Am I hungry? Am I tired? Should I be taking a nap? Jesus loves to give naps to his people. Those are very, very be still and know that he is God. Do I feel jealousy? Am I afraid? Do I have more doubts? I don't believe God is here. Have courage just to take some inventory and know where you are. And then I encourage you to do three simple things. One is help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. The second is have mercy on me, Jesus. And as Jonathan taught us last week, Jesus, fight for me. 
fight for me. Let me be still and know that you are God and the battle is not mine, it is yours. That may be two minutes for you, that may be five minutes, for some of you it may be an hour, I don't know. But the Lord tells us that when we come to that place, we will, we will experience the hug of our Father. We will experience the need, the deep need and ache I had in my soul for the hug of the Father. And also I'll begin to understand more clearly how that hug has changed my life. And guess what happens at that point? I dare you not to live out your purpose. When you experience that, I dare you. Because then the Holy Spirit gives us clarity about what's not important and it gives us absolute clarity about what is important and get out of the way. This world will never understand the purpose that you're running after. But you will. Dennis understands that. Sister Alavera understands that. Many of you understand that. So let me, let me pause and let's just practice it right now. You ready? Whew. Don't worry, this is almost over. All right. Lord, we come to you and um, we still our hearts, our mind, and just want to take a second to be still before you and, and know who am I bringing to you? What's going on with me? Give me grace to see that. Thank you, Father. And now would you have mercy on us? There are so many places we don't understand and so many ways we've messed things up and so many ways we've lived more like a weed than an oak of righteousness. Help us have mercy. And Jesus, if you turn uh, weeds into oaks of righteousness, how can you not now fight for us? Fight for us. Let us feel your embrace. Let us feel your kisses. Let us feel your celebration. You've killed the fatty calf. You've sent your son to the cross. And through his death and resurrection, you have thrown a banquet table to call us sons and daughters. In Christ's name we pray.